Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I have to say, today is a monumental day because 74 years ago today, Faith Radio went on the air. So it's uh, happy birthday, Faith Radio. Mm. Amazing, amazing 74 years of being able to spread the gospel and talk about um, Jesus for 74 years. It's crazy. Oh, I... I agree. And it's... Uh, what a legacy. What a legacy. Yep. Started by a bunch of students that said, we want to make this happen. And a bunch of students said, we're going to start giving, I think we can do like a dollar a week. For a full year. And that was 74 years ago. That's a, That was a lot of money back then. It really was. It was a commitment. And Billy Graham, of course, was the one who started it. And he didn't even know where God was headed with That's this so ministry. That's so true. That's so true. So here we are. Happy birthday, Faith Radio. Thank you for all your support and, and all the, way, so the ways in which you love Faith Radio, as do we. So I want to get my day started with Rob Bluey. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. Probably has a round of happy birthday to sing to us as well. Hey, Rob. Hey, it's good to be with you, Bill. Congratulations <laughs> on those 74 years. You certainly have a big anniversary to plan for next year. Yeah, that's we do. For sure. We do indeed. So I had to laugh a little bit when I, I, I heard about the spy balloon that's was up in the air that got shot down. Of course, I didn't hear much about it, except it seems like a pretty obvious thing. You put up a big balloon in the air. How does anyone try to get away with anything? Well, it's it's a real head-scratcher how this all uh, transpired. First of all, the fact that we didn't find out about it for several days after it was first spotted. Um, you know, it was first spotted over Alaska, and then, of course, it made its way down through Canada and uh, before it crossed in, uh, into the United States, continental United States over Montana, and then it made its way all the way a- a- across until it-, it hit the Carolinas. And so uh, I think it was a good move on the part of President Biden to, to shoot it down. I, I-, I- you know, I don't have military intelligence, and I and I certainly can't tell you whether he should have, um, you know, done it uh, sooner. Uh, I it seems to me like as soon as it was spotted in Alaska, that would have been a good time to take it out, so it no didn't kidding. have the ab- uh, the ability to to spy on the military bases uh, across the continental U.S. But uh, you know, I think that now that it's been exposed, and he uh, is is <laughs> trying to scramble in terms of figuring out a plan for what he's going to say at tonight's State of the Union address, it seems like he's trying to suggest that it's a, a victory on the part of the United States when, in fact, who knows how much information was transmitted to the Chinese. And, of course, this news comes as the Chinese have made rapid progress in their development of, of nuclear missiles, and uh, it's no doubt that they're trying to figure out where in the where the United States is, is housing its nuclear missiles uh, uh, here at home. So, Deeply concerning, Bill, and I think it just uh, demonstrates again why China today is our number one adversary. Mm -hmm. So when they shoot this thing down, Rob, what did they recover, or do we not have military clearance to know those answers? 
Well, I, I certainly don't. Uh, maybe maybe some of your listeners uh, <laughs> who, who are on the inside would, would have more knowledge, but uh, they are trying to recover, uh, as you indicated, and uh, and that's a good thing because I think maybe that'll give us some clues as to, to what they were able to, to capture. I don't think, by the way, I, I don't believe for one minute that this was done for meteorological purposes. I think that uh, the Chinese government is used to lying to its own people each and every day, and they're not lying to uh, the global community when they they say that. So uh, don't uh, don't take uh, you know, th- that uh, uh, very seriously. I, I do think that you know the fact that this has been going on reportedly now for several years, maybe even dating back to the Trump administration, is disturbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether who agreed to this was this is part of some environmental pact or, or, or treaty that was uh, signed by. Uh, the bureaucrats and they they didn't in, bother to inform our, our military leaders or our intelligence agencies. You know, I there's so many questions here that we need to to ask, and I think it's a good thing that we have uh, different parties in control now. We have Republicans in the House who may be able to hold hearings and get to the bottom of some of this. A lot of it probably will, unfortunately, be kept uh, behind closed doors. They're meeting with uh, the eight top leaders in Congress today. The full Senate is supposed to or would like to get a briefing on on all of this. So more answers to come, Bill. But uh, yeah, what we've uh, found out so far does not seem promising. Mm-hmm. Rob Bluey is my guest. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can go to dailysignal.com to check it out. If you have a question for Rob, please send it over because I don't I don't follow the news quite the way I once did. So if you would like to ask Rob anything, 877-933-2484. I did find this article interesting, Rob, at The Daily Signal of an Anglican bishop that reported um, uh, Sam Margrave to the police for a hate crime. And all he did was to hold a biblical view of marriage. And now he's got death threats, uh, not only from uh, uh, the, the general public, but people from the clergy and the LGBTQ community. So uh, his life is now like uh, at, at risk. Well, and, and that's what is uh, is so scary today. I mean, we live in a culture where there is absolutely no tolerance for, for different opinions. And, and so often it is conservatives or Christians who are the ones suffering the consequences. I mean, we, we call this cancel culture uh, for, for a reason. And, uh, and when, you, when it escalates to this level, as you said, where uh, you know, they're now facing uh, interrogations from the police or, or you know, the prospect of, of serving time in jail, I mean, it, it, it really is alarming. Uh, it's no longer uh, a situation, Bill, where, where you even, some individuals don't even feel comfortable sharing things in, in, you know, in their own churches and, mm-hmm. and let alone on social media where, where it can be, <laughs> it can follow you around for life. So, I mean, I, I think it's an absolute uh, disgrace that, uh, that something like this would happen. And, uh, you know, at a, at a time in our, in our culture where we ex- fully expect the president tonight to stand before Congress and talk about unity and working al- alongside Republicans and bipartisanship, uh, I, I, I sincerely hope he means that in his State of the Union address, and I hope that the people who are watching and may have different political opinions will treat their fellow Americans or their fellow Christians with the respect and dignity that they deserve. Oh, well said, Rob Louie. I, I like that comment. I don't know if I'll be watching that tonight. I don't believe I will, but uh, w- what time does it start? Is it... Uh, prime time, eight o'clock, kind of thing, or it's a it's a nine o'clock. Not, the president is speaking at nine o'clock. Okay. Uh, of course, it's it's significant because it is his first speech before a divided Congress. Uh, okay, of course, the, the the first two years he he had Democrats in full control of Congress, so he was speaking to a 
you know, more uh, a friendlier audience, shall we say. And uh, and as I said, I, I think it's I, I personally think it's good that the, the president uh, had a sit down meeting with Speaker McCarthy last week to talk about the debt ceiling, that he's approaching this address, not from a, uh, you know, hostile, um, <laughs> take no prisoners approach. He's going to, to try to emphasize the areas of agreement. I, I, this is the Joe Biden that we all remember from 2020 when he was running for president and promised to unify the country. It was only after he he stepped foot in the White House that it seemed to to be so divisive. And uh, and I have to think that that's probably has more to do with the people who are, you know, behind the scenes running the operation, giving him the talking points, uh, looking at the polling and thinking that that's where he needs to to, to play to uh, his base. But uh, but I, I think it leads to situations like this where we become a more divided country. And there are so many big issues that we need to get together, sit down at the table and, and work on. $31 trillion debt, uh, a border crisis that's, that's getting worse by the day, fentanyl overdoses increasing, uh, crime problems in our major cities. I mean, these are, these are, solu- these are issues that are, are, can be solved. Uh, by both Republicans and Democrats. They don't need to be overly partisan. I think that there are good ideas uh, that the president should consider uh, from Republicans. And, uh, and and maybe that's what the voters were saying last November when they put them in charge. Mm-hmm. There's been some positive reports on the job front. So I know the president will be excited to talk about the job growth and the, and the low unemployment. Yes, we, we certainly expect that to be one of the uh, areas that, that he focuses on in, in the speech. Um, we saw the, the jobs report on Friday, uh, obviously good numbers, uh, the unemployment rate at, at a historic low and, uh, and much, uh, many more jobs added than were expected. Uh, there are still some things that, that we need to be concerned about with regard to the labor market. I mean, inflation is stubbornly high. Uh, it continues to uh, be problematic from the the extent that um, Americans, when they're getting salary increases, are are not able to keep pace, and mm-hmm. uh, and they see that in the grocery store, the gas gas lines, and just a variety of other products that they they may be purchasing. So I expect the president will will address that as well. Of course, he he pinned the blame yesterday on on President Trump for for inflation. So you know. Um, I think it's a, again, as you and I have talked about, this is a bipartisan problem. The reason we have such high inflation is that the government spent way too much money during COVID. Uh, bill after bill was uh, passed by Congress, signed by both Presidents Trump and President Biden. And uh, they, uh, you know, uh, put us in a situation where uh, we borrowed a, a lot more than than we should have. We have this massive debt and there's uh, no end in sight. It seems that our lawmakers can't get control of uh, of the budget. And uh, just as you and I have to balance our budgets on a daily basis, and so many small business owners need to do the same, the Congress of the United States uh, is incapable of doing so. Well, that's discouraging, but I understand that is what is on the table and that what has to be addressed. So I hope they get to work and come up with a solution that would make all of us happy. We're going to take a little break and come back more with Rob Bluey, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Head over there, dailysignal.com. If you have a question for Rob, please send it over because I don't have tons of questions, but I know you do. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. 
I'm back with Rob Bluey, who's the executive editor at the Daily Signal, my Washington, D.C. correspondent, so whatever's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. If you want to ask the question, send it over, 877-933-2484. So, Rob, has the COVID emergency come to an end? Well, according to our elected representatives, yes. <laughs> now, uh, whether or not everybody in government is going to go along with that is another question. Obviously, every state handles things slightly differently. But uh, yes, the House of Representatives decided that it was time to officially bring this to an end. And so they are are operating on this way. And they, they forced the administration to uh, to set a date uh, as well. So it's a good, good news. I think it's... Uh, it's long overdue uh, that, that this was finally uh, the case. It does an important thing, Bill, and that is it, it, uh, it prevents the government from using em- its emergency powers to take away our freedoms or, or to spend more money, as we were talking about before the break. And so I think in this particular case, uh, a good move on the part of our elected representatives to listen to what the people wanted. And, and you know, uh, just just a, a side tangent, I think it's really interesting to see that some of these votes that are playing out in the House, now that they have opened up the rules, are allowing amendments and, and, and functioning much more like the people's house of, of old mm-hmm. and not uh, being dictated by a single speaker, as was the case with Nancy Pelosi, you are actually seeing bipartisan votes. You're seeing Republicans and Democrats coming together and agreeing on these things, including on COVID. And so that's, uh, that's I think, a hopeful sign of where things are headed in the future. And, and what can happen when you actually allow the members of Congress to debate amendments and to have these kind of discussions out in the open as opposed to behind closed doors. I like hearing that as well. So, Rob, what is the latest on some of the transgender activism and even with the Catholic schools? Well, yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's everywhere, Bill. As as you know from uh, from from the headlines, uh, it is uh, an issue that continues to be infiltrating our schools. We saw it most notably during the twenty twenty. Uh, timeframe when when parents got a front row seat to what was being taught in the classrooms and uh, over Zoom calls when the kids were at home. But it's continued uh, and it, it happens everything in, 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 in cases of public schools and private schools and, and religious schools, as you mentioned. And I think that it's a concerted agenda on the part of, of some people on the left, the LGBT community, to make sure that kids are, are hearing and learning about this at a younger and younger age. Uh, preferably, in their opinion, from a, a school educator or administrator, as opposed to parents. Uh, you know, because if they are the first ones to indoctrinate your children, uh, you'll be in a in a in a at a disadvantage as a parent. And so, I think we need those of us who are parents need to be very uh, guarded uh, about what our, our our schools are doing. We need to uh, ask some tough questions. We need to look at the the sex ed curriculum. We need to to get on book approval committees and do all of those types of things to to make sure that uh, the schools are, are not running rampant and, and doing what they want. And I think that the point that you touched on, uh, the fact that it's happening in private religious schools is, is a sign of just how far the LGBT community is, is pushing this agenda. And so, uh, again, uh, there's no, really no place that uh, your kids are, are necessarily safe. Uh, and it's especially true if they have access to social media where there is no filter. And um, it, it's uh, it's everywhere. It's it's re- truly scary. Mm-hmm. Rob, talk about what the the Associated Press did uh, directing their journalists to put the term "crisis pregnancy center" um, in in scare quotes and to use 
anti-abortion center instead. Yeah, a, a great report from from my colleagues here at the Daily Signal to to uncover this. Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, just just by way of background, the Associated Press is an organization that uh, reports on on news. I mean, if you if you go to any website or your you know local newspaper, they the chances are that they subscribe to the Associated Press because they have a team of reporters throughout the world that covers issues, national and and foreign issues. They also have a style book. And so all of those reporters have to follow certain guidelines when they're filing their stories. And that that dictates everything from which words to capitalize to which terms to use. And you are talking about, uh, certainly in this case, what terms to use. And so the Associated Press has decided that when it comes to the issue of, of abortion and life, that it is going to take a very pro-abortion stance. Now, now your listeners are probably saying, "Well, Rob, why? Why? You know, I'm not surprised on that. I mean, mm-hmm. we know that the media is biased, but wh- what this actually influences is all of those organizations, not just the Associated Press, but all of those media organizations that subscribe to the AP or follow the AP's guidelines will now be using that terminology. So it has a wide, uh, big, you know, a wide-ranging effect uh, across the media landscape, and and I think it's particularly unfair because to to have this particular perspective on on what to call uh, you know pregnancy centers uh, is, uh, <laughs> in my mind, overtly biased on on their part, and uh, why we decided to call them out for it. Mm-hmm. Rob Louie is my guest, executive editor at the Daily Signal. Rob, what else do you have on your desk? What stories are developing, or what did you see in, uh, today that you want to talk about? Yeah, well, I, you know, I just a couple of things, Bill. I mean, I, I did want to make a, a another point about uh, the State of the Union tonight because I, I think that there's an there, there's one thing that we're likely to hear from President Biden that that will be of interest to your listeners, and it relates to the last story we just touched on. Obviously, this is the first State of the Union speech since the big Dobbs decision last June. Uh, President Biden has made a a big push to get his judicial nominees confirmed. He's actually outpacing President Trump, who, as you might remember, uh, this was this was a high priority of the Trump administration to get judges on the bench. And so I expect Biden will talk about the Dobbs decision. He will talk about abortion. He will talk about efforts uh, to truly, truly, you know, in, in my perspective, uh, radicalize uh, so many of uh, of the laws and, uh, and administrative actions that he's trying to take and, and impose a certain perspective on this uh, this important issue. So, just another thing for your listeners to be uh, mindful of tonight. And then, uh, you know, otherwise, Bill, I mean, I think that there's a number of foreign policy challenges that uh, that we continue to confront. Uh, obviously, Russia and the the war in Ukraine uh, they uh, appear to be uh, gearing up for another offensive. If you're to believe the reports in the news. Uh, the United States has continued to provide the, the bulk of the support, both in terms of military aid and equipment. I think it's time for uh, others in Europe to step up, particularly as Ukraine might come on, uh, might face these these new assaults from from the Russians. And uh, and finally, I think uh, you know there's going to be a big emphasis on on China because China is certainly paying close attention to what goes on in Europe, and uh, and as uh, the situation in Taiwan continues to be. On a lot of people's minds, uh, you know, the Chinese uh, will will be aggressive, and so there are probably things you'll hear from from Biden tonight with regard to economic uh, economic levers that we can pull. Obviously, Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, canceled his visit after the the weather balloon, as we we call it, uh, was spotted. So, you know, those are just a, a couple other stories that uh, are on my radar uh, tonight. But uh, 
yeah, what uh, what what else can we, we we chat about? Do your listeners have any questions for me tonight? Well, um, I don't have a ton of questions uh, for you, which is which is okay. Uh, I know people love to hear what's going on uh, from your perspective in the Daily Signal, and I always appreciate that. Do you know, Rob, how much money has been sent to Ukraine? Do you know how much uh, money the the U.S. has sent over there? Uh, it's over one hundred billion dollars. Oh, but Bill, that's I don't a big know number. the I, I don't know the precise amount. Um, you know, it is it is a it is certainly a situation where the, the despite what you may, may may hear about you know the United States and and our our, our foreign policy, I mean, we have far uh, surpassed any other country uh, in, in terms of uh, in terms of aid, and and you know, a lot of it is not even military aid; it's humanitarian support as well. And think about all the private donations that that individuals have have um, have done on their own because mm-hmm. they you know just care for the Ukrainian people. And so, yeah. Um, and 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 now with the horrific uh, earthquake in Turkey and Syria, I mean, you're continuing to see an outpouring of support for those. So the American people, I will say, are are a generous type of uh, people. They step up in these crises crises that take place. Um, you know, in foreign countries. And, uh, and that's what, what, what I love about this, this country of ours is yeah. that, uh, that we always do come to their aid. How does Russia not look at us and say that we are not involved in that war? Oh, well, uh, you know, there, that's a, that's a really good question. And I think particularly as, as we just saw the United States decide to give, uh, Abrams tanks, there's now calls for, for the United States to, to donate F-16s. In my mind, I mean, you need people from, you need Americans to teach the Ukrainians how to use this equipment. So, I mean, it, it, it presumably would require consult, you know, contractors, if not troops themselves. And so I, I think Russia will increasingly see the United States as having a role here. And uh, and I don't know what, what that'll lead Putin to do, but I think it's something that we should be mindful of and concerned about. Yeah, it's very troubling. And then how uh, how bad was that earthquake? Oh, uh, sig- significant. I okay. mean, uh, uh, you know, thousands, uh, thousands dead. They're still trying to clear the rubble mm. and, and rescue people. So, I mean, it, uh, it, you know, was a, was a major, I think 7.4 on the Richter scale. So, okay. I mean, significant damage and and on top of, you know, a region that has already, uh, had so much hardship from, from war and, and, you know, the oppressive regimes in uh, in those countries. And so they've already been suffering so much to have something like this happen on top of it was just tragic. Yeah, so much suffering in the world. Lots to pray for. Rob, thank you so much for uh, spending time with me today and my listeners. I just so appreciate you. Thank you, Bill. You have bet. a great week. You bet. Rob Louie's been my guest, executive director at The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com. I hope this Lent uh, you take a moment to step away from all the distractions And you can do that by reading the Bible together with us. You can learn how to better connect with God through his word and study ancient disciplines practiced by Jesus himself. Sign up for that free study today. You can do it right now at myfaithradio.com. I hope you do that, and I hope you uh, go to myfaithradio.com. Sign up for the free study. We'll take a break. When we come back, Dr. Greg Borgon is in my green room, and he's going to come in the studio, and he's going to say some very smart things.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. So why do Christians have to convince confess their sins. Uh, Didn't Christ pay the penalty for all of our sins, past, present, and future? And what happens if I forget to confess my sins? That's a topic we're going to talk about today, forgiveness and confession. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. He is the founder and president of heartofawarriors.org. Greg, hey. Good to be here. Yeah. uh, I can't wait to dig into this. This is meaty. Well, you know, I, I run across these questions as, as I lead men. Matter of fact, this last Saturday, I had 20 men in front of me. I was leading in, in what's called phase one, the compass. And this came up because there is confusion surrounding it. So if some uh, variation of these questions are asked uh, on a regular basis. So I thought, you know what, I, I'm really going to dig in this because uh, I understand there's some subtle subtleties to it that I think might be helpful to your audience. Okay. Let's dig in. All right. So uh, the question again, you know, is is forgiveness conditional on our confession of sin as a believer, uh, fully forgiven? Why do we need to confess our sin? Um, and this key one relating to Romans 8.1, if our sins, past, present, and future, were nailed to the cross, and Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, resulting in being declared righteous in the sight of God, so that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, why pray for forgiveness? So let's, I think, look into Scripture to help um, alleviate some of these concerns because I think Scripture is pretty clear about that. That's my favorite method, too, just so you know. If you weren't <laughs> Glad going to that, hear that, Bill. If you weren't going that direction, you were going to get booted out of the studio. <laughs> all right, let's continue. All right, first of all, we have this, this amazing promise, Bill, from God in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. And in essence, and we'll read the verse in a minute, um, in essence, when Jesus was crucified— He paid the penalty for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Now, that's kind of hard to get your mind around that. But here's what the passage actually says. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, and this is the key, Bill, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Then he set aside, this he set uh, aside, nailing it to the cross. And then there's other scriptures like 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 12, that talks about your sins, plural, are forgiven, mm-hmm. meaning all of your sins. So not only are all of our sins forgiven, God remembers our sin no more. Now, that's, that's really interesting to me. So according to Isaiah 38, 17... God put all our sins behind his back. That's the actual phrase. Isaiah 43, 25 says he blocks out our transgressions and remembers our sin no more. In Romans 4, 7, and 8, we're told that our sins are forgiven and will not be counted against us. In Hebrews 8, 12, and also in Hebrews 10, chapter chapter 10, verse 15 through 17, we are assured that our sins are are forgiven, and he will remember them no more. And, and that's, like, that's essentially they're never going to be held against us. Never going to be held against us. It's put behind them. It's not going to be considered. Right. It's not going to be paraded in front of us by God, even at the judgment seat of Christ. 
Amen. Um, it's all put behind. I love it. And that should give us hope as followers yeah. of Christ that uh, the enemy wants to remind us all the time because the enemy tries to bring us always to the failures of our past, the sins of our past. Um, when God wants to bring us to the victory of the future, that's why he puts this sin behind us and the struggle is in the present. But God is God and Satan is not. So the question that our audience might be wondering, well, how can this possibly be? Well, let's explore and expand a little bit on this whole idea of forgiveness. Divine forgiveness really, Bill, has two parts, positional or judicial forgiveness and relational or parental forgiveness. Now, let's take a look at that a little deeper. Positional forgiveness, Ephesians 1, 7, and 8, for instance, is given to us upon receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It says in that passage, Ephesians 1, 7, and 8, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. One Bible scholar, Bill, puts it this way, all our past, present, and future sins are forgiven on a judicial basis, meaning that they will not suffer eternal judgment for our sins. God has taken our sins, blotted them out, because the penalty due for our sin was paid by Christ on the cross once and for all. Positional forgiveness is obtained by every believer in Christ. In our position as members of the body of Christ, we have been forgiven of every sin we've ever committed or ever will commit. The price paid by Christ on the cross has satisfied God's wrath against sin, and no further sacrifice or payment is necessary. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it. Our positional forgiveness was obtained then and there. So judicially, the penalty is paid. He took it upon himself. And it's not, if he didn't die for all sin, he'd have to go back up on the cross for any future sin. Mm -hmm. So that's why he says himself, it is finished. So powerful, those words. It is finished. That's right. Very powerful. So that's positional forgiveness. And that comes to anyone who comes to Jesus Christ and receives him as Savior Mm -hmm. and Lord. At that moment, they are judicially forgiven. Yeah. This is putting me in a very good mood today, Greg. (laughs) I just want to share that. Relational forgiveness in 1 John 1, 9 is an ongoing necessity because although forgiveness has been granted to us positionally, our relationship with our Heavenly Father is broken when we sin. Okay? And one authority describes it this way. If a son does something wrong to his father... Like, for instance, falling short of his expectations or rules, the son has hindered his fellowship with his father. He remains the son of his father positionally, but the relationship suffers relationally. I think everybody understands that crystal clear. Yeah, they sure do. Yeah. Their fellowship will be hindered until the son admits to his father that he's done wrong. This weekend, I, or this Saturday, I said to them, How many of you men who have children have ever heard this from your child? Well, I'm sorry. Then I asked the question, do you think they're really sorry? (laughs) Probably not. Sorry they got caught. So, you know, it's all about what they're confessing to. Mm -hmm. But does it, just because your relationship, men, and I was saying this to these guys, is broken because of the disobedience of your child, you love them any less? And, of course, they all said, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. That's right. So positionally, they are loved unconditionally. But relationship, uh, relationally now, that, that bond is broken and, and needs to be restored through confession. So 
It works the same way with God. Our fellowship with him is hindered until we confess our sin. So when we confess our sin to God, the fellowship is restored. This is relational forgiveness. So secondly, I believe there's a subtle difference between confession leading to conversion and confession after conversion. Now, that may scare your listeners for a minute, but bear with me. The word confess, by the way, Bill, actually means to agree with. That's what the word means. Let's talk about confession at conversion. So when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior through confession, we're agreeing with God that we are wrong, that we have sinned, and that Jesus died for our sins. We're saying that we chose to live our lives independent of God on our own terms and that our sin nailed Jesus to the cross. But now we submit to him and appropriate, receive, um, embrace God's positional forgiveness uh, through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. By doing so, we recognize that from this day forward, we are under new management. We're not our own. We were bought with a costly price. We invite Jesus into our life, becoming adopted sons and daughters and citizens of the kingdom of God. So this initial act establishes a father-son, father-daughter relationship with our creator. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, all of our sins are forgiven. So now we've been aliens and strangers to God. We've lived life independently, and now we're acknowledging our need of a Savior and God's provision to, re- to establish a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And so that's what confession is, yeah. actually, um, at conversion. Yeah, Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. Greg, I might add one word, and you can veto this if you want, but when you said, we are agreeing with God that we are wrong, what about if I added this word in? We are agreeing with God that we discovered we were wrong. Oh, I think that's great. Okay. That's absolutely great because oftentimes whatever we've done to um, create alienation between us and our Heavenly Father is buried so deep in our subconscious it may have happened years ago. We're only seeing the results of it. Yeah. So it's discovering it. Yeah. You, you wake know? up and you realize you've discovered, oh, I, I have sinned and I am, I've, I've wronged. Yeah, that's what the role of the Holy Spirit is for unbelievers. Mm. It says it convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so that quickening, that awakening, Mm. you get up in the morning, Bill, and it said, all of a sudden, I'm aware. I discovered it. Yeah. Do you do a confession of sin at the end of the day? I mean, before you put your head on the pillow, do you ask God for forgiveness for whatever wrongdoing you might have done that day? Well, you know, if if, if I know that I'm aware that we have, have broken fellowship, I'm going to uh, ask God's relational forgiveness. Okay, that, I already that, have, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you do that uh, daily? Yeah, well, more than more than daily. <laughs> it may be multiple, <laughs> really? multiple times during the day. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that sounds. About Remember right. when Jesus says, "How many?" Uh, Peter says to Jesus, "How many times should I forgive?" And he says, 70 times seven." Yeah. <laughs> so four hundred ninety times a day. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, so this initial act establishes a father-son, father-daughter relationship with our Creator when we place our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. All of our sins are forgiven, and now we have a relationship with Him. So how about confession after conversion? Well, confession of sin after conversion is to restore a broken relationship with the Lord. 
Well, let's, let's make sure that we understand this initial commitment to Jesus Christ is to establish a relationship with our Heavenly Father through the finished work of Christ on the cross. And when we sin after confession, our relationship is broken, and we need to restore it. So we no longer need to establish it. That was done once and for all at the cross when we received Jesus as Savior and Lord. But now we need to restore it. This may happen repeatedly like we were just referring (laughs) to. Uh, a broken relation for the Lord. Our sins, past, present, and future have already been forgiven, but our relationship with our Father is broken and needs to be restored. His love for us is unconditional and remains regardless of our sin. However, our relationship with Him is impaired because of our disobedience. Our relationship needs to be repaired. So that's what we're talking about. So, Confession of our sin is needed to restore and repair the relationship. Positional forgiveness has already been given to us at the cross. Mm -hmm. And now we're looking for relational forgiveness to restore that relationship. In our article posted on GodQuestions.org, the writer states, Confession of sin will will help to keep us from the discipline of the Lord. What does it, that mean? That means that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves, it says in, in Hebrews, I think it is 12, 11. And Revelations 3, 19 and 20. I rebuke and punish all whom I love. Yeah. Be in earnest then and turn from your sin. Yeah, nobody gets up in the morning and says, gee, I can't wait to be disciplined from the Lord this morning. I can't <laughs> wait to be slapped by the Lord this morning. I, I'm just so looking forward to that. But the beauty of it and the bounty of it is after the fact. When you realize, you know what, that's exactly what I needed. Mm-hmm. And God loves me because he disciplines me. He gives me boundaries. He sets parameters for my existence. He knew me before I ever was, and he knows the path I need to take. And I can trust him because he loves me unconditionally. Mm-hmm. So confession, the article says, of sin will help keep us from the discipline of the Lord. It will, uh, If we fail to confess sin... The discipline of the Lord is sure to come until we do confess it. Our sins are forgiven at salvation, positional forgiveness, but our daily fellowship with God needs to stay in good standing, which is relational forgiveness. Proper fellowship with God cannot happen with unconfessed sin in our lives. Therefore, we need to confess our sins to God as soon as we are aware that we have sinned in order to maintain close fellowship with him. Mm-hmm. It pains me to grieve him, but it's thrilling I can go to him and, and ask for forgiveness. Yeah, there, there was this, Munger uh, years ago wrote this amazing analogy, My Heart Christ Home. And one of the pictures he gives us is that Jesus is waiting in the living room by the fireplace to spend time with us every morning. But because we're carried away by the tyranny of the urgent, we rush down the stairs, we see him sitting there, and we convince ourselves, we'll go back to him later. But he'll always be sitting there. He'll always be waiting for us. He's always willing to restore the relationship. But we must come to him. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness and confession. That's our topic today with Dr. Greg Borgon. You can learn more about Greg at heartofawarrior.org. We'll take a break and be right back. Thanks for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm Carmen LaBurge. If you enjoy what you're listening to here, consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine. Search Mornings with Carmen LaBurge at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts and hit subscribe. 
Greg and I know that we know that's your theme song. Yes, we do. It's one of our favorite movies of all Stirs time. Stirs my heart every oh, it does time me I too. hear it. It does me too. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. We're talking about forgiveness and confession. So, Greg, let's let's just talk through this. Um, you know, I want to maintain a healthy and loving relationship with my heavenly Father. So, I need to confess the moment of the my sin the moment I'm aware of it. Yeah. And if I do that, how can I be restored? How would I what would a confession of sin maybe look like? Um, well, first of all, we become aware of it. Let me step back a little bit. We, for now, at, at this side of glory, Bill, we see darkly. We see dimly. We're not seeing totally clearly because of sin in our life, because of um, the world around us, because of the influence of the enemy and so forth. So we need to rely on one of the, the major roles of the Holy Spirit, which is to reveal to us this sin that so easily plagues us, even though we may have forgotten its original cause, its root. Uh, when it was established, we're seeing the results of it in abhorrent behavior or trend of a behavior in a certain uh, direction, but we have forgotten the actual source of it. And so we rely on the Spirit of God, and God's not going to go ahead and play hide-and-seek with us. If we really are, are desiring to be penitent and repentant, God will reveal to us what broke the relationship if it doesn't come to mind immediately. Mm-hmm. So to maintain a healthy uh, and loving relationship with our Heavenly Father, we need to confess our sin the moment we become aware of it. In doing so, we restore our fellowship with Him and avoid the discipline and consequences, as we've talked about, that come when we refuse to ask God's forgiveness, when we're obstinate, when we're um, just deciding that, you know, we're going to, for a season, live our life independent of him. Mm-hmm. I would say that, Bill, independence from God will always make you dependent on the world, where dependence of God will make you independent from the world. But the enemy wants you to be independent from God. Mm-hmm. So he may distract you, he may redirect you, um, the next shiny object, whatever it might be. So we need to restore this relationship. So a confession of our sin uh, for after conversion and in, and all through uh, our existence until we we are there with the, with the Lord and God calls us home would go something like this, Heavenly Father, I confess my sin of whatever it is. I admit I have violated your standards for holiness because we're called to holiness. I recognize that our fellowship has been broken. I acknowledge that my sin resulted in Christ's suffering on the cross. Please forgive me and restore my relationship with you. And he says yes. And he says yes. Yeah. What father wouldn't embrace a child with that kind of a confession? Mm, it's beautiful. Dad, I, I blew it. I realize I'm wrong. I'm so sorry. And I know I've created a broken relationship, not only here, but throughout the family, because I just did. And I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me, Dad? Mm-hmm. And this unconditional love, which is always there, will be replaced by these loving arms around you, figuratively speaking. Yeah. So it's a powerful thing. I wonder how many people not only need to do that with God, but need to do it with their earthly father. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's true. I mean, when we ask forgiveness or when we give forgiveness, oftentimes, Bill, it has more to do with us. We're harboring this resentment, this angst, this anger. And so even if they're not worthy of forgiveness because they've given no indication, we forgive them for our own sake. 
And so, you know, a friend of mine told me at one time that forgiveness is choosing not to seek revenge. And revenge could be holding people at arm's length, not talking to them. There's all kinds of ways in which we do it. But it just hurts us. It just hurts us. So we, we need to forgive. So let me just share one final note on this whole area, Bill, because it's, it's, it's important. The act confession removes the sin from our life, okay? Um, but unless it's replaced with something else, biblical truth, for instance, there's a good chance it'll return to torment us. Because it's true that nature abhors a void. Mm-hmm. It's like going to the dentist. They're extracting a tooth because it's decayed. It can't be saved. And unless they replace it with a bridge or another tooth, it will affect the whole bridge of our mouth. Mm-hmm. And then it will affect our health over time. So we replace, we remove it through confession. All right? So let's talk about this two-step process, removal and replacement. In Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees confessed um, or con- uh, confronted Jesus after hearing you know, that he had healed a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. He spoke to them about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, about a tree is known by its fruit, and and the sign of of Jonah. He then speaks to them about the return of an unclean spirit. Here's what it says in Matthew 12, verse 43 through 45. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, void, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. Um, And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also, we too, uh, it will be with this evil generation. Now, we're not talking about possession for a Christian. We're talking about oppression by the enemy. So I believe, Bill, that uh, he purposely, his purposely exaggerated statements in this, um, this statement here that, that he says to the Pharisees strongly suggests that removal alone through confession may clean the corruption left by sin. However, if the emptying or sweeping or putting the house in order is not followed— by a replacement with the new furniture of biblical beliefs and values, with a commitment to act on them, the enemy and his minions may come back and oppress the follower of Christ. The latter situation may be much worse than the original situation. So that void that was created through confession, uh, removing the sin through confession, we need to replace it with God's truth. Hebrew scholars have said... uh, Years and years ago, they said, a a belief is not a belief unless you act on it. So it's taking this truth, replacing the lie that corrupted your heart with truth, and then acting on it in the same direction or an extended period of time until it becomes a habit formed in your soul. So that's what we're talking about here. So it's removal plus replacement. So when we think of confession, that's removal. When we think of replacement, we're replacing what we remove, the corruption with something that's incorruptible, which is God's word. So removal through confession, 1 John 1, 9, should be followed with replacement uh, with biblical truth. John 8, 31, 32 says this, Bill. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, 
You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, abiding in his word, we can't stress that enough (laughs) on Faith Radio. That's right. Soaking in that word. You know, the word is called so many different, uses so many different metaphors, like a chisel to chisel you into the image of God's Son. Um, It talks about ointment over the sores of your corruption. It talks about water, which washes you. Um, So there are many, it's a mirror that reflects who you truly are. Mm -hmm. You can't hide from it. And so there are all of these metaphors about the power of the word. And again, it's the only offensive weapon we have. All the rest is defense. And the last thing the enemy wants is for you to master the word, the inspired word of God in your life, or to incorporate it into your life because he knows when you do, you will become his formidable foe. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Thank you for that discussion today, Greg Borgon. I loved talking about forgiveness and confession, and I think it was really helpful that we reminded everybody that there is a positional forgiveness and a relational yeah, forgiveness. Absolutely, those are those are two separate. Your um, father loves you. Father wants does to forgive you. Love you, yes. So, all right. Thank you so much for that teaching and the time together. Always great to see you. Could be here. Thank Bill. you so much. All right, we take a little break. Which is, I think what we do in radio is take those breaks that I, I was taught at radio school that I never went to. <laughs> and then when we return, my friend Dr. Mark Muska is going to be here. And we are going to talk, ask the professor, get your questions ready, send them over, 877-933-2484. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.